0: since we were both single, but I, I, don't, I don't remember. Okay, anyway, we did, we'll talk about that later. Psalm 110, Psalm 110. Turn with me in God's Word uh, to Psalm 110. Uh, one of our Lord's favorite passages quoted, used uh, to defend His majesty and glory. Uh, we find this, re- quoted, we don't have time for all this tonight, so I'll tell you now, Acts 2, uh, the glory, the person, The kingdom of Jesus Christ. Psalm 110. Let's stand together as we read uh, God's holy word. Uh, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make uh, thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn. And will not repent, thou art a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. May God be glorified. You may be seated. The glory of Christ has been the center of God's revelation and purposes from the very beginning uh, since we rebelled against the Lord uh, in the Garden of Eden and he revealed the one who would come and crush Satan's head, uh, himself being crushed in the process. Here we have uh, a depiction here of his glory, so we need to look at his exaltation. Secondly, we have his redemptive kingdom, how he rules And third, we have something in verses 5 through 7 of the progress of his kingdom in history, what we should expect now that we are under the reign of Christ. Now, and then I'll make a few applications for us, but please remember my conviction as we come to this passage tonight is that we're in the presence of majesty. Okay, we all have a king, and he doesn't sit on the throne in uh, the U.K., Uh, He sits on the throne at the right hand of His Father in heaven. And so that we properly learn in our individual callings and places in life to bow to Him, we need to see how exalted He is. So let's begin there in verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Two quick points. First of all, the Father said something to His Son. And second, He made a promise of victory to his son. What did he say? Sit at my right hand. What does that mean? Right hand is the hand of power, the hand of authority, and three things I think in particular. He will sit there, because notice this is David speaking. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adonai, and remember our Lord used this, how can David address his son as his Lord? Oh, because the Messiah is the preexistent son of God, uh, as well as David's earthly descendant, God and man, two natures, one person without confusion, composition, or conversion. So first thing, this is said particularly as the, to him as the Davidic king. Now this is interesting, and Peter will argue this on the day of Pentecost, that what makes the death, resurrection, ascension, enthronement of Christ so important is that that is the fulfillment of the promise to David that of his seed one should sit on his throne. Now, I know for the last 170 or 80 years, uh, the the false doctrines of, of dispensationalism has deceived multitudes into thinking we are still waiting for the Messiah to sit on David's throne. But the message of Pente- Pentecost, the message that armed the early believers to resist the beast of Rome, was that Jesus is now reigning, oh, at a, on David's throne, but not a throne in Palestine. That would be a letdown. This is a throne at the Father's right hand, where, as Calvin says, he rules over all things, heaven and Earth, by his power now what 's interesting, secondly, he said to his son, "Sit at my right hand." He said this to him as a reward for his obedience, suffering, and death. Look at isaiah fifty three I hope you brought your bibles tonight we 'll look at many passages of scripture uh, isaiah fifty three i don 't see a clock and i don 't own a watch so that 's a good thing uh, <laughs> sorry um, isaiah fifty three verse 12, again, if we had time, we could go through this in more detail, but again, very very related to what we're looking at, some three or 400 years after David wrote Psalm 110, therefore will I divide him, who's the him, the suffering servant, the same seed that was promised to David, I will divide him a portion with the great and he will divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Which, in Philippians 2, verses that I hope you know by heart and think of often, because we can't be disciples of Jesus if we are not thinking on the word of Jesus and abiding in it. Philippians 2, 9, uh, you can look there with me or just listen as I read. Wherefore God, excuse me, verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus uh, every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that he is Lord. So as the Davidic king, the mediator of the covenant, he sits. But also, he sits as the one who was so low because he sank so low for our sins and became obedient unto death. And as Psalm 2 and Isaiah 53, which we read in Philippians 2, and we can look at other passages, because he humbled himself to the will of his Father. Even though he was one with his Father in eternity, in power and glory, he humbled himself to be our surety and our head. Now he is exalted. Now, does he, why does he, does he need this? Does God know? But as the mediator of the covenant, the one who sank low to save us, he is exalted to raise us up. And the Father's plan for history is that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Look in John five twenty three. This is very important. Uh, God's purpose for history is not that uh, the Republicans win and that the World Economic Forum is overturned. And all of these, yes, that will all happen in in time, but those are sub-issues, okay? Those are sub-issues. John 5.22, for the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son, honors not the Father who sent him. John 17, 1, a similar thread that if we had time, then Jesus spake, th- these words Jesus spake and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. So God's plan in raising his son and saying, Sit at my right hand, is so that all would honor Christ. Now, we look at women, there's a lot of people in the world honoring Christ. There's a lot going on in the world that's not covered by American media, which is totally like listening to the police radio and chasing ambulances. So don't spend a lot of time doing it. The gospel is spreading throughout the world because God's plan for history is that all should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. Now back to Psalm 110, the second thing, sit at my right hand until what? Until I make your enemies your footstool. So he, he rules, let me give you three things about his rule in terms of him being exalted to the right hand of the Father as the mediator of the covenant, having humbled himself, raised from the dead, ascended, enthroned, sitting on David's throne, ruling over everything. He rules first in expectation of victory. Matthew 28, 18, very clear again, you know this verse, I'm, I'm assuming by heart. And Jesus came and spoke unto them saying, all power at some point in the future in heaven and earth will be given to me. No, he doesn't say that. He says all power right now. Now, wait a minute, didn't he already have that power as God? Well, yes, but he's speaking as David's greater son. He's speaking as the mediator of the covenant as he's about to ascend. And he says in verse 19, go, verse 20, teach in the light of I rule in expectation of victory. Look in First Corinthians 15, a passage that's not often looked at in this context, but it quotes. Uh, it quotes this, this very verse in Psalm 110. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 and 25. Then comes the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign. Till he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The verb tenses here in Greek are fascinating because the idea at the end of verse 23, Christ is coming, the next word in Greek is end, and then there's verb tenses that actually take place and refer to action before that end comes. That he will have already put down all rule and all authority and all power because he must reign until all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. This is what he is doing. This is what he is exposing. Now you might think, well, then why does the world look the way it does? I would suggest that the world looks the way it does. The West looks the way it does because he is reigning and because he doesn't respond passively to apostasy. He doesn't respond passively to Uh, denominations that repudiate their confessional and biblical moorings historically and embrace sodomy and perversion and statism in the world council of churches and so he gives his enemies over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not fitting and to kiss the beast because his true people will never take that image of the world on themselves. So until I make your enemies your footstool means first He rules in expectation of victory. Second, he rules actively. This is assumed everywhere, but look in Revelation 19. He's not a passive ruler. He's not a passive king. He is actively, and I think this passage and the present tense verbs would bear this out. This passage word occurs in Revelation, and we can't get into all that tonight, but this is his ongoing march. This is what he's doing. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, Revelation 19, 11. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. Okay, when heaven's not when in the heavenly state they're not going to be nations as we now know them. This is talking about in history, throughout history, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the wine press of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his vesture his clothing, and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So he rules with active power. Um, he rules with. As he marches and subdues, especially by his word, the sword coming out of his mouth. Turn to John 3.17. I want to bring out something else here just about his reign. He, he rules with a specific redemptive purpose. Now, we'll talk in a minute about some of the, you know, yeah, strike the head off of kings. I mean, yes, that, that's in here as well. But I think we need to remember, we got to be real careful that when we talk about the reign of Christ, we don't absorb it into some kind of American exceptionalism or Republican conservatism because it is so easy and has been throughout Western history to confuse the kingdom of Christ with the political kingdoms of men. Jesus says this in John three seventeen. right after, of course, verse 16. He says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Again, so that's the reason Jesus came into the world, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, is ascended and sits on David's throne. It's not to crush your political opposition. It is to save sinners. Now along the way, yes, he judges and but remember, this is the he said, "I You know, remember when his disciples, you know, said, hey, Lord, can we just go ahead and call down some fire and kill the Samaritans? Because killing people is way easier than discipling people. I mean, it's a lot quicker and it's a lot cleaner and you don't have to set up counseling programs and all these. And Jesus just kind of looked at him and said, you weirdos. Okay, okay, is this what spirit are you of? And remember what he said? I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So be careful that you don't, you know, buy the t-shirt out at quartermaster general if they're still in business. It used to say, kill them all and let God sort them out. I mean, that's not our, our, our view of the kingdom of Christ. Jesus reigns to save sinners and to bring them to himself, which has a huge bearing upon how we advance Christ's kingdom All right. So first, he's exalted. And by the way, you must look at this. I I just is a word here. I know there's other things going on tonight, but John Owen once wrote that the he believed. I think it's still true. Four hundred years later, that the that the source of most of the weakness in the life of the Christian is a failure to see the glory of Christ and commune with Him often in His glory, because he this is a real person. It's it's as real as this pulpit. It's he's in flesh, he's in blood, he's enthroned, he's ensconced in glory at the right hand of the Father, and he is there to save you. He is there to help you. And as we'll see in a minute, he's there to be a sympathetic and merciful high priest. Now, his kingdom is very redemptive, saving. Look, look in verses two through four in, in Psalm 110. Two things. I mean, we could divide this. I'm I'm trying to be simple so we can really remember it. One, he rules out of Zion, there in verse two. Notice Uh, he rules, the Lord will send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. And then it talks about the impact of his rule upon his people. And then, fourth, he rules as priest, which obviously is an oddity in the history of the church and world because. Uh, unlike we often hear today well in the Jewish theocracy the uh, church and state were just blended and inseparable which is a false reading of the Old Testament because the king could not be the priest you may remember a king who tried to go into the temple and offer the sacrifice and he was struck with leprosy okay and the priests were not kings these offices were kept separate and distinct church and state were distinct had distinct functions and distinct officers in the polity of Old Testament Israel but in Jesus they're united we'll get there in just a minute but first of all just quickly he he rules out of Zion what does this mean well I, 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 to, to be simple and direct Zion Mount Zion we've come to Mount Zion this this is the church he he rules specifically through the churches Ministry, remember there in Revelation 19, on his thigh, he has a tattoo, not a justification, sorry, okay. Uh, but on his thigh, he's got word of God. Okay, this is how he, he rules. He rules through his word. Um, Isaiah 11:4. 4, look there, you, you probably know this, and this explains a lot of subsequent um, revelation in the New Testament, but uh, Isaiah eleven four, talking about verse 1, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch will grow out of his roots, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. All of these very much quoted again in the New Testament, verse 4. Uh, and with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Uh, Again, some old covenant, you know, uh, uh, tones there, but still the idea is his word. His word is what quickens. His word, and of course, joined with the New Testament references that one part of our armor is what? Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So as we live and meditate and you speak the word of God, you're, you're speaking and, and and wielding the sword that's coming out of Jesus' mouth. Okay, you you and you're thinking, well, do I really know well, yeah, you, you have the scriptures. Don't don't let you know the Andy Stanleys of this world and, and others, well, I mean, can we really? I mean, trust the Bible. We can't sing according to uh that wonderful student of scripture. We cannot uh we cannot sing anymore, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Because, I don't know about the Old Testament, the New Testament's a little shaky, because what we need is an encounter with Jesus. And, but, of course, mediated by what? Your guru messages of the day? Because the Jesus of Scripture, he opened the Scriptures, and he, and he read them. As a matter of fact, one of the scenes I, I wish I could have seen uh, more than any in the Gospels, if you 'll allow me this liberty for a moment, is not you know yes, uh, calming the seas and raising Lazarus those but I would have loved it to have been there um, in the synagogue of Nazareth at the outset of his ministry. This is recorded in Luke four where he went in and he asked for the scroll of Isaiah and now Isaiah would have taken six or eight scrolls depending upon their size it wasn 't like our our codex, our Bible. And so he found the place where Isaiah 61 was written, which means he would have had to go through the scrolls and find it. And then he, I can just imagine that scroll just trembling as the author reads. So, so don't give me this, well, we don't really know what Jesus would say. Yes, we do. Read his Bible, okay? Use his Bible. It, it's the word of God. All times, all ages. And that's how he rules, he rules out of Zion. He rules through the church's ministry, faithful ministry of the word. Um, and we have so forgotten that. Some years ago, Willow Creek and Bill Hybels did a did a study, you know, why are we not seeing more effect to our programs? And this is a church with, at least then 20 years ago, with multi, multi-million dollar budget. And they hired this firm to come in, uh, paid them $6 million to come and assess, how can we do better you know, as a church, and they came back and said, you need to have Bible studies and prayer time and fellowship, okay? And Bill Hybels was like, that's a good idea. We need to incorporate those things in what we're doing. You're not laughing, okay? You, you, should, be, you, you should be like, really? Okay, I thought, that's, I thought that's how Jesus grew. The church in America has forgotten this. We want an experience of worship, which is a guarantee of infancy. Okay. Jesus rules by his word. Now notice here it says go back to Psalm 110. It there's a few other little descriptions here just for completeness. We can't spend anything like the time each one of them warrants. But it says he rules in the midst of his enemies. Okay, he's ruling right now. He's the ruler in the uh in 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 uh uh Washington, California, Switzerland at Davos, see. He rules all of these things. He rules in the midst of his enemies. He ruled Pilate. You remember in his weakness before he was exalted, Pilate Pilate went his pants. Okay? Because Jesus was not like the normal criminals who were like, hey, you know, do you want some money or we'll do something to let me go. But Pilate's like, don't you know that I have power to kill you? And Jesus said, no, you don't. You wouldn't have any power at all unless it were given to you from heaven. And well, you say you're a king? Well, yes, I am, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate's like, We gotta let this guy go, okay? <laughs> and his wife was saying the same thing. And of course we know his, his 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 character weaknesses here. And that's just one example. Another one we don't have time to look at Acts four. You may remember um, Peter, James, and John healed the, the cripple man, and then they were brought before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin said, you can't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they beat them and let them go. And then they came back, and they quote Psalm 2. And they say, Lord, just give us boldness that we may speak your word without fear. And the place where they were praying was shaken. And it said they went out and spoke the word with boldness. And the next morning, they went right back to the temple. That's what he's talking about, ruling. We think, oh man, if we could just have the storybook and the golden throne and, and, and we found all the, you know, if we could win the election and our people, you know, Jerry Falwell, 1980, Reagan's elected. The very next morning at Thomas Road Baptist, they play Hail to the Chief as, as, as Jerry Falwell walks in. And we, we know what a farce the, these people are in, in many respects. That's not the kingdom of Christ. Getting Ronald Reagan elected, okay? I know that's way before your time, but it's, n- it's not before Boyd my time. We remember it very, 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 very well. Okay, But, but he rules, you know, and that's why, that's why Pastor Zeki, whom you heard this morning, went to jail. That's why if you listen to Pastor Wang Yi's sermons, and he called on the Chinese president to repent and come to Christ, And he made it very clear, I'm not trying to be an insurrectionist or but I want the president of China to repent. That is Christ ruling in the midst of his enemies. When you give a witness at college or in the workplace, you're like, I don't know if I should say anything. I'm so scared, I won't say the right thing. One little bumbling word you say for Christ according to his word is more powerful than all the sophisticated things you see on youtube channels, okay because it's the word of his mouth, and he rules in the midst of his enemies. He adds to this talking about us and some of your translations may say you, uh, your people will be voluntaries or or offer voluntary sacrifices, but the idea is willingness, willingness. Remember what it said in Ezekiel 36, a new heart will I give you. Hebrews 8, I will write my laws in your mind and in your heart so that this is the power of Christ. You need to learn this now. Look at Psalm 110 as a singles manual for future life, family, marriage, whatever. Lord Jesus, subdue me. The one thing you need to be to be a faithful spouse one day, if that's your goal, if God hadn't called you to that, I wouldn't worry about it. But if he's called you to be a spouse, the number one thing you need is a heart that wants to serve Christ and it's broken of the love of self and absorption with my feelings. So that the first thing that you think of in the morning is not, "Oh, how does my back feel?" or "Oh, who who, who didn't like me on social media?" I know none of y'all are on social media, okay? <laughs> um, and, and who? No, it's it's what is my savior. That's 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 how he rules. He makes me willing and desirous to serve him, not, yeah, it's kind of like a dog I used to have. Bless her heart. She died of a stroke. I probably gave it to her. Uh, I wasn't even home the night she died. All of a sudden, my wife was on the phone with my, at that time, who's now in his 30s, but my 8- or 9-year-old son, she was on the phone and we heard this scream. It sounded like the legend of Sleepy Hollow come to life. And it was the dog just killed over. Now the problem with this dog, okay, is it if she wasn't Ona, I mean we did everything we could. We loved her. We played with her. I mean, tell you about this dog. Okay. One time, we brought, the dog was inside and and and, and it was really stormy and we just put, he, put her out in the garage for just a minute. And I cleared everything out. And and a little bit later, and the garage doors open, and she could come in and out like she wanted to. And, and I go down, why is there cement running down my driveway in rivers? Well, she had drugged two 50-pound bags of cement out there in a storm, and cement is just pouring down. And so, you know, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't walk her. Another time, we, we, we kept her. She was in there for just an hour. This is with Kevin Metcalf. You can ask him. And she came out, and she had Kevin's front bumper in her mouth, okay? And she had pulled off the bumper of his car, okay? That was a dog that wasn't willing, okay, to do any. And it's like us. You know, you got to have a choker. You feel like you got to have a choker, you know, if I don't obey God, and we—I we, didn't like to use a choker collar on this dog, and I only did it a couple of times, so don't call PETA on me, okay? <laughs> but that's not what Jesus is. Jesus, you don't have to have a choker when you know Him. He's like, ah! okay. He makes us willing because He He gives us what well, He 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 has a freshness to Him. Again, this is some beautiful language. We probably should just stop here and talk about it, but. The beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth. I think the idea here is he gives his people, because he has youthful vigor, he never loses his freshness. He gives us youthful vigor and freshness in serving him. It, it doesn't get stale. Maybe this is some of what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 4 when he said, even though the outward man perishes, and just look at some of the old folks I mean, here tonight. I mean, the outward man is not what he used to be, is it, Boyd? Okay. And yet, what what is it, and, and Chris, okay, but, but what does he say? The inward man, the inward man, why is this? Because the man that endures, the new man, is in union with Christ. The new woman who endures is in union with Christ, and he gives continual vigor. Now, one part of this, verse 4, is that he unites not only the kingship, but the priesthood. Now, there's a lot in here, O Melchizedek. You may remember Abraham's encounter in Genesis. If you want to read more, O Melchizedek, go to Hebrews 7. But basically the idea I think here is, is that unlike the king who just stridently marches through history with a sword and he's just killing all of his enemies, and yeah, I want to get close to him and I want to serve him, but there's, he's kind of scary. He's got a pointed sword. This king is also a sympathetic priest. This king is also, remember Melchizedek, what qualified him to be a priest? His, his person. He didn't have a, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't descended from any known lineage. I don't think Melchizedek was a ghost or just plopped into history. The point here was, is that as, he, as a chosen kind of type of Christ, it, the point was not his lineage. It wasn't where he came from. It was his, his righteous life. And and if you read through there in Hebrews seven, it's his person that qualifies him. Now imagine this: the king who is at the Father's right hand. And if you read Revelation five later, we we really ought to go there, but I won't do it. Remember, this king looks like a lamb that's been slain. Now remember what that would look like if you. My mom remarried after some years after my father died when I was young and married a sheep farmer and. And he talked to me a lot about sheep and slaughtering sheep and shearing sheep. And if you remember, a, a lamb looking like it had been slain. Okay, and, and so it still had the stigmata of the blood. And wait a minute, this is a very different view of kingship. See, this is why the Jews rejected Christ as the Messiah and, and still do, at least the, rabbinical, the rabbinically enslaved Jews do. Because it's like, no, we, we want the... The Solomon Kingdom, the the twelve marble lions, and the and the throne of ivory, and we want the glory, but a lamb looking like it's been slain. The King who has all rule, all authority, and all power, and yet he's a merciful high priest. He he knows my, and I can go to my King against whom I've sinned, and he'll forgive me, and he has all power to forgive because his very kingship is based upon his humiliation unto death on the cross. And that's how he ministers to us. And so, again here, please remember this as you think about Christ. And maybe some of you are in the grip of terrible personal sin or you know people that are. And and you don't want to just give them platitudes and you don't want to just believe platitudes yourself. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the exalted, almighty, sword coming out of his mouth, right hand of the Father King, who is also, by his righteousness, by his endless life, by his being tempted in every way like we have been, yet without sin, he is a merciful and a compassionate high priest. And we've got to come to him and make sure that we treat him as he is. He's not an idea in the head of preachers. He's the king priest who rules at the right hand of the Father. So his kingdom is redemptive. It's saving. It'll save you. It'll save me if we look to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see maybe a little bit why Owen said, wait a minute, I need to think a lot more about that. What does that mean that the king who reigns is also a priest? The righteous, obedient, who's my advocate with the Father, 1 John 2, 1, who makes intercession and covering for sin. I mean, this is very different. This is a personal view. of Yes, he's exalted, but this king, he looks like a slain lamb with blood still splattered on him. And again, it's a visual, but it's meant to remind us don't ever have views of Christ, that he's somewhere up there in the heavens and he doesn't care about you. And yes, he does. He's got a, again, he's pictured in other places with a with a linen chest piece that's got your names. And he says, I can't forget you. You're engraved on my hands. Love this king, yes, but trust him as your savior. Now in verses five through seven, I know we're skimming here and I'm, I'm sorry about that, but there's so much here. And perhaps it's better just to see the whole glory of it he says several things about his kingdom in history he says the Lord at your right hand will strike through kings I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 60 verse 12 that that nation and kingdom that will not serve you will be utterly ground to powder somebody in my church uh, asked me two years ago in the wake of all the stuff that was going on said uh, what are you most afraid of right now and I said that Jesus is doing all of this That's what I'm most afraid of. I'm not afraid of men. Okay, these people that we've got ruling over us, yes, we need to respect and honor them, but they do not, they could not wipe Nebuchadnezzar's boot, okay? They could not wipe Julius Caesar's boot, okay? In terms of those men in antiquities, mental uh, intelligence and determination and even giftedness in the kingdoms that they built without any of the technology that supposedly we think is so important today, don't be afraid of men. Be afraid of the king who permits the who ordains who brings this blindness and madness to pass he strikes through kings uh, he judge, notice in verse six he judges among the nations he judges among the nations he's judging among our, you might say, wait a when I thought what's happening in the United States say we'll just pick on our nation is because that um maybe Satan's got us by the tail no i i mean I don't know what the devil's doing, but he's not omnipotent, and he—he he, if you resist him, he has to flee from you. He's a real enemy, and I would not underestimate him. That's why we've got real armor, but remember, it's Jesus that's judging the nation that had a president like Thomas Jefferson, who was no Christian, but he said, I, I tremble when I think that God is just, which is on his monument in Washington versus the leaders we have today when... I tremble when I think that babies won't get to pick their transgender over time. Okay, so you, you pick who... Uh, wh- Jesus fills his enemies with madness. And 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 he searches the hearts and he rules. And he's... What's happening in the United States today is not because Jesus is not reigning. It's because he is reigning. And he's striking his enemies with madness. By the way, just, just so you'll know, I mean, we need to face something. I, I know we live here, and I've lived here all my life, but um, I, I want to just be real honest with you. Some of you may not agree with this, but in the light of this context, I'm, I'm going to say it anyway. You need to be afraid, very afraid, to be an American right now. Okay, and it has nothing to do with, oh, the 1619 Project and all these other kind of lies that are being. It is because we're the only nation upon the face of the earth that has nuked other nations, we have murdered 63 million babies over the last 50 or 60 years. We encourage among our youth, sodomy, just incur- child abuse in our educational system galore. Be very afraid of the wrath of the Lamb because he judges among the nations. And, and you're, please understand, your next-door neighbor who's not a Christian, he, he can't see this. She can't see this. Only you can repent. And ask the Lord to please have mercy upon our land. Lord Jesus, don't slay us in your wrath, but have mercy upon us. Because, as he adds here, he's going to fill the places with dead bodies and wound the heads over many countries. If you read Revelation, one of the themes at the end of chapter 6, this incredibly jarring verse, it says in verse 16 and 17, who can abide the wrath of the Lamb? What? Wait a minute. Is that New Testament? Yeah, that's New Testament. Again, I thought you said his kingdom was redemptive. It is. And it saves men. But those nations that won't submit to him, he judges. And he inflicts with blindness. And he brings them either to repentance or to judgment. And the last reference here, he drinks of the brook in the way. Most commentators take that as a he's so active in his reign that he just... He just stops quickly, gets a drink, and then moves right on. You know, we two thousand years has gone by since Jesus ascended. He he hadn't had to take a nap. Um, he he's not grown tired. Now, I think the church in certain seasons has grown tired of his gospel. I tell you what, let's make up a a system of repentance where uh you go to the priest and you confess and and uh you do auricular confession, you know, out loud, you know, oral confession, and he'll give you 25 Ave, Ave Maria's, paternosters, And then if you don't do enough at the end, then you can spend some time in purgatory. And wait a minute, we, we, we believe that for a long time. And then we wonder, what happened to the apostolic? Again, we've got to be really, really careful with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not, as Luther said, he does not have a nose of wax. That you can just move whichever way. We've got to stick to God's word. And, and remember that he is tireless. He's, he's patient. He doesn't get in a hurry like we do at a red light and think, oh no, my plans are not going to be realized. I'm going to be 30 seconds late. No, he is, he is tireless. He is always looking for the next um, place to conquer. Now, in the light of this, what should we do? I mean, so personally, I, I've tried to make some personal comments in here, and I know I've skimmed, and if I've stepped on toes, as long as it was biblical, I'm not sorry. Okay, um, <laughs> but 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 please, let me just suggest three or four things. Bow to the king, okay. Bow to the king. Bow. So the uh, one of the Sundays before Jesus ascended. You may remember Thomas. It's like, eh, unless I see his wounds, you know, you know the story. And, and Jesus was there. And all right, Thomas, come touch me. Come look. I'm not a ghost. And Th- my Lord and my God. And, and again, I, I assume, but I, I want to make it really clear that you have confessed and bowed to Jesus Christ as Lord, because. Being a Christian is not, well, I I had an experience. I felt really close to God. So did Gandhi, okay? So did Muhammad. So did Marilyn Manson, okay? I, I feel really close to God right now. That's not. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So make sure... You bow, but second, that's not one and done. You need to wash the king's feet. Okay, your, your life now? I mean, you remember what Jesus, the disciples that last night, in the middle of all their other um, faux pas, shall we say, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. Is it going to be the PC or the OPC? Let's have a contest. <laughs> okay. okay, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus like, I'm done with it. And he just kind of steps away, and he starts washing their feet. I I, I wonder, I've often wondered, as I've imagined that scene, did they at first like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, okay, and they just keep going at it. No, I'm going to sit on the right, I'm going to sit on, and then like, wait a minute, he's washing. And remember, this is like another sub-theme in the Gospels, because Mary, just a, a week before, they held a dinner in honor of Lazarus, And Mary's washing Jesus' feet. And Jesus said, this will be told everywhere. Like tonight, Jesus is the true prophet. He was right. Everywhere the gospel is preached, what Mary did will be told as a memorial for her. Okay, because this is how we relate to Christ. We walk at my work. You've got things you don't like to do. How do you overcome defining your life by what you like to do versus what you don't like to do? What I'm comfortable with versus what I'm not comfortable with. How do we overcome discouragement, depression at one level? Um, not always feeling hopeful. Not how, how do we overcome the first thing I'm going to consult is my own feelings about this? Remember, you're not your own. And so I'm here to wash the king's feet in my work, my attitudes, my relationships, I'm here. Men one day, you know, please don't buy me this hyper-patriarchal stuff, you know, when you're married one day, you're looking for a wife that can basically, you know, carry your shield behind you and, and, uh, and your sword, and she, you know, cleans the manure off your boots when you come in at night, and yes, you love her, and you pat her on the head and say, you're a very good wife, okay? You will make a lousy husband, okay, because you won't be like Jesus at all. Learn to wash his feet instead of who's going to serve me? You want to overcome? Well, I don't like my church. Nobody ever has me over. Invite somebody else over. Stop thinking about what are other people going to... This is our Lord. We're supposed to have his mind in us. Nobody serves me. Nobody loves me. Nobody respects me. That's what they were arguing about the last night. It's a miserable way to live instead of how can I wash my Savior's feet? How can I? How can I... How can I please my Lord? Colossians 1.11, walk worthy of him unto all pleasing. How can I please? And again, for those of you who are unmarried, 1 Corinthians 7.32, you remember Paul's great, great admonition there. He says, hey, to the unmarried, you don't have the distraction of a family. Your only concern is how can I please the Lord? How can I? Because when you do have a family, that adds to the layers of responsibility and trouble and pressure. I'm not trying to. I mean, married life is not a panacea. It's not a. It's not always wonderful. It's not angel symphonies and Valentine's Day. It's manure and children vomiting everywhere, and and uh, and and husbands and wives don't always get along. And do I have to put my hands in that? Yeah. You know, yes, you do. Okay. Um, but again, that's okay if I'm, if I'm washing the king's feet. And isn't it amazing? We have a king who lets us, who invites us, because he's not only the exalted, ruling king of heaven and earth, but he's also our merciful and sympathetic high priest, and he receives our worship. Let me mention two last things tonight. Bow to him, wash his feet. Third, expect him to bless you. I just want you to let that sink in for a minute. Expect him to bless you. Now, what, his people will be voluntary, willing? Um, you see, the eye of the Lord is upon those who fear him. Now, the eye of YouTube is not, okay? And the eye of Facebook is not. And 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 I'm not on social media, so I don't know what I'm talking about, okay? But, but, but. That that's not, can you imagine the whole thing that's of just this huge, colossal importance to hundreds of millions of people? And the Lord didn't even look at it. He didn't even care. I wonder how many millions of people watch the um, University of Georgia played a Texas School of Amputees on Monday night. Okay. <laughs> no offense. You may love TCU and 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 again, I'm not, I'm not, I know that's probably not very politically correct, so I'm sorry about that. Okay. But we think, oh, everybody! I watched it. I'm an idiot. I watched it too. Okay, (laughs) but the Lord, the Lord's like, what? Remember what Jesus said? He he said, "The things which are highly esteemed by men are an abomination." and so be, be but, but for you who, who know the Lord and you, I love the Lord Jesus. I, I, I want to serve him. And you're like, yes, this is resonating with you. And you're, you're, you're saying, Lord, rule me, bless me, guide me. He says, I will, I will, I will. I know the purposes that I have for you. I know my plans for you. They are so good. I see now the areas of greatest weakness and frustration in your life. You're going to learn to boast in those things. And later in heaven, those areas of weakness are going to be the areas where you're going to praise me the most and have the greatest joy when you're with me and we're walking together and you're fellowshipping with all the saints because I I not only see where you are right this minute which seems so important to us and so all-consuming, but Jesus, I see your whole 10 billion, quadrillion, how many years when there's no time. I see all of it. I know your immortal existence. And I am your king and I bled for you and I will never lose you and I'm going to work good for you. And you need to believe that because the city of man is all hopelessness for you unless you buy into the agenda of statism, unless you buy into, oh, the experts, the scientists, the bureaucrats, the, uh, the people who send uh, uh, microphones into outer space listening for ET. I mean, these are the... These are the people who will save us. You no no no. It's just dust mites, and there's only Christ, and He will do you good. I reminded of what Polycarp said. You remember eighty six when, or he had to be older than that, but they wanted to kill him. And you know, all you got to do is just burn a little, you know, throw a little pixie dust on the statue of 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 the of the Caesar, and you can have your Jesus. Just be a pluralist it was like 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong I will not deny him now oh, I hope you when you're that old uh, you can he, he has never done me wrong he never will do you wrong he will bless you and guide you so you, I, I, so one 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 final thing is I, I want to get real close to this king you know this is a weird thing about a king you know most kings you know they have an entourage and And, uh, you know, so you can get too close to him. Uh, We had a family in our church some years ago. He was uh, part of the Korean community in in Atlanta, and he got invited to go meet the president with his family. And there was a protocol class. You know, when you go meet the president, he's got to extend his hand first to you and don't rush him and, you know, and so they had a little daughter. I'll never forget her. It's like, oh, no, she's going to meet the president. This could be an international incident. And sure sure enough, as soon as she, the president, and she runs, right? And, he, and the, 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 the gentleman was saying, don't shoot, don't shoot. Okay. You, you, can't get, you can't rush the, well, this is a king. This is a king. Please take this with you. This is a king you can get really, really close to. And you can get close to him with your leprosy. He's not a king who says, hey, when you've worked out and you've lost the weight you need to lose and you've fixed yourself, come see me. No. He's a king who, when the lepers come to him and, he, and they say, Lord, if you're willing, he can, you can make me clean. he just touches them. And he says, I'm willing you be clean. This is a king that through prayer, through the word, the fellowship of the saints, we can get close to. He loves us. We can abide with him and he in us. So Let me encourage you, yes, bow to him, wash his feet, expect him to bless you, but get close to him. Know this king, Peter, 2 Peter 3.18, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If I could say one last thing to you uh, as... Um, I'll just say it, my unmarried brothers and sisters, most of us here, the best thing you can do to get ready for whatever God has for you in the future, and only he knows what that is, is to get very close to Christ. Because if you're a man, the only way a really godly woman is going to want to get close to you is if you're closer to Jesus than she is. Okay. Because then she can trust you to lead her and not trample on her. And like Matthew Henry said, she was made out of his side, not to be trampled on by his foot, not made out of his head to rule over him, but out of his side to be near to him, nurtured, loved. Why? Because that man is close to Christ. And the same thing with you girls. I'm going to get as close to Christ, not in just this intensely self-absorbed, my personal relationship with Jesus, but his word, fellowship with him, yes, washing his feet, trusting him, because this is what this is the cash value of Psalm one ten. Not yes, Jesus is going to cut off Joe Biden's head. Hallelujah. Okay, Joe Biden didn't know he has a head. Okay, so so again, we, we sorry, I didn't say that. Okay, that was somebody else. Okay, but, but but sorry, I really should not have done that. My wife, my wife would kill me. Okay, um, but the, but the point here is what. That, that's our, oh, that's who Jesus is. Yes, this Jesus, he will grind. You know, maybe he won't because we have draped an American flag over his throne and he's ripping that flag to shreds because what he wants is a people who willingly serve him, not because my 401k is going up, up, up. Uh, I have a job. It's continual rising profit but a people who love him and want to serve him and wash his feet. That's the cash value of Psalm 110. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would bless us and and help us to know you and love you and be near to us, oh, Lord, as we think about your kingship. Forgive me, I'm, I'm sure I said things tonight, Lord, that were not, not appropriate, but and, and forgive me for that. but. Lord, the things that we need to hear about your lordship and about your priesthood and about serving you and and washing your feet and being devoted to you. Isn't that what you told us? Hey, if you're going to come after me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Lord, I pray that these young people would, would be on the vanguard of, of a generation that would be like that, that they would take that message to their churches and, and family and schools and workplaces and that they would be unapologetically committed to you as King of kings and Lord of lords. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.